This is the Education Gadfly Show. Great, so we're building on a firm foundation of talking animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, turn this. <laughs> what does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, Danny Shaquille. Danny, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Danny is a postdoctoral researcher with the Program on Education Policy and Governance at Harvard University. Also joining us, as always, my co-host, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Thank, oh. Big thank you from over here, too. All right. There we go. And Danny, uh, I think we got to know you through our uh, Emerging Education Policy Scholars Program that we do with Rick Hess at AEI. And we're super excited to have you on. Uh, Danny has been doing some work uh, with the, some other folks affiliated with PEPG on education policy surveys. You know, this is the uh, what, what often gets turned into the Education Next poll, or at least pieces of this. Um, there's been a long history of that over there at Harvard and then uh, digging into other research as well. And this time, the question is, what can we learn about attitudes on charter schools in rural America? What a cool question, Danny. So let's do that in our Ed Reform Update. So Danny, so uh, you've got this paper uh, with Michael Henderson uh, looking, let's, let's say it's uh, officially, quote, how information does and does not shape attitudes towards school choice in rural America. Uh, and you've got a study on this, uh, and tell us about it. What? What? Uh, well, first of all, let me ask you this, Danny. What made you interested in studying this question? A lot of people would say, well, you know, charter schools may not be a great fit for rural America because uh, you need to have a certain amount of population density to make school choice work, and so we've got to look at other kinds of reforms. Uh, but uh, but you thought this was something worth looking at. That's a good question. So I came into education policy to reform education uh, and to help people access the best education they can. Um, And for that, school choice is one of the mechanisms. And I always used to wonder that all these reforms that happen in in the area of school choice, they happen in urban areas because that's where people are mostly and things can be easily told to them and new experiments can be done and things are scalable. But when it comes to the rural areas, um, it's difficult. And I used to wonder uh, what are the difficulties for school choice for new reforms in these rural areas. Uh, so Bob Morento and I some time back had the thought to have a special issue of the Journal of School Choice on school choice in rural areas. Uh, so that's where the idea came from. All right. Fair enough. So you dig into this question. Uh, we certainly know a lot about what the general population thinks about charter schools, how that breaks down by race, uh, by ideology, or at least political party. But you dig into this question around rural. So what did you find? What do rural people think about charter schools? Uh, well, as you said, that rural areas are different than urban areas. They are more conservative uh, on average. They also tend to have less minorities um, in them, although it differs uh, across the country. But as far as charter schools are concerned, they seem to be less aware about what charters are. There's a clear information gap in urban versus rural areas. All right. So that, that which is not surprising that they're less aware of charter schools. There's fewer charter schools in rural areas. Uh, does that seem to impact the way they think about charter schools, their support for them? Um, well, uh, there are some questions in that next survey which ask them about a variety of things such as whether charter schools can uh, have religious instruction, whether they charge tuition or not, whether they can be selective. Um, and there are six questions totally. So when we ask, when the survey asks them these questions, in general, we find that uh, in all but one case, 
they are more likely to say don't know as compared to their urban counterparts. So actually, they don't know what charters are. Okay, if you ask me, in comparison to the other locales. Interesting. And uh, and does it? I, I'm trying to remember what else did, did were you able to figure out if if there was a charter school in the given rural community, if that changed the way that either their awareness of it or or their opinion about these schools. So we, we tested actually four theories. Um, the first was whether uh, the, the people who are living in these uh, rural areas, do they actually have an aggregation versus a context effect? Which, which means that is it something about the rural areas that makes people um, uh, antipathic toward charter school or is it about their traits, which I already mentioned, that they are different than urban areas. Um, but when we control for those traits, we did not find that the gap closed. There is something uh, about rural areas itself that is different. So next we wanted to see if it's about whether they are more satisfied with their local schools. And we find generally that rural areas have schools uh, by which uh, their people are more satisfied in comparison to their uh, other local counterparts. Uh, but when we controlled for that, again, the gap did not close. So next we tested the theory whether it's about lack of familiarity I already mentioned that there are questions about whether charters can teach religion, whether they can charge tuition, etc. Interestingly, when we controlled for that, the gap closed. So we thought, oh, it it could be about uh, lack of information. And if we provide more information to them, maybe things can become better. So we tested two things there. This was our fourth component. Firstly, we we try to see if uh, we uh, provide more information. And in the survey, there was an experiment where people were assigned a version of the question where they had more information. And in the second version, they had less information. Um, if we look at more versus less information, we find that the um, presentation of more information does not actually have any effect on their support for charter schools. And in, this, in the second case, we had a sample in 2011 where... Uh, people were oversampled from uh, charter schools in their district. So we looked at whether uh, uh, that could actually uh, have an effect. Now, this is observational. This is not experimental because we cannot randomly open a charter school in a rural area. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, in, even in that case, we did not find any uh, statistical difference in rural versus other locales. So uh, this is the whole takeaway that even though they are less familiar about charter schools, but uh, presentation of information does not seem to change anything. Interesting. All right. Well, <laughs> so this is an interesting nuance, David, because I mean, we've learned earlier this summer uh, with the DEFER survey that you see this breakdown on the Democratic side between, mm-hmm. you know, uh, African American, Latino uh, Democrats tend to support charter schools, white liberal Democrats tend not to. Right. And that's that gap has grown in the last and few years. And it, it's it grown. wasn't always there. Yeah. And now I could suspect that. Uh, of course, not all rural people are Republicans, but given our current politics, you know, they, they are disproportionately likely to be voting in, you know, for Trump and, and the like. So it, it makes me think that there may be now this sort of suburban versus rural divide on the Republican side, that maybe suburban parents uh, who are Republicans are, are more open to these sort of free market charter school reforms. Uh, rural uh, folks, maybe not as much. And, and partly they don't have charter schools in their communities, most likely, but also that they like their public schools more, uh, which again, makes some sense. I mean, you you know, my picture of rural America, and I'm sure it's distorted <laughs> sitting here in Washington. What do you mean? You're an expert. Oh my goodness. But, you know, is, is that, <laughs> right? you know, we worry about the lack of, of uh, 
the uh, the sort of de Tocquevillian uh, institutions in rural America, you know, churches closing or some of the other civil society institutions closing, you know, the high school, the elementary school, the Friday football games. I mean, these things are important parts of these communities uh, and people uh, respect them and they embrace them. Uh, and, you know, I can imagine that this notion that you're going to have choices other than uh, these schools that you're very familiar with might be threatening. I mean, what do you think, David? Am I out to lunch here? Or what? Yeah, no, I don't think you're out to lunch. I mean, in my conversations with policy wonks, they're interested in charters versus and, and does the market work and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Right? When In my you know conversations with normal people, uh, they have no idea what a charter is. They're not necessarily aware that some of the schools around them are charters, even in yep. D.C. Uh, they, I mean, it's just, you know, that they're going to experience it through the lens of how does it impact their lives? Just yeah. like every other political issue is, mm-hmm. is, is sort of filtered through that lens. Um, right. And so if the, if the, if the tangible impact is, well, uh, now we don't have a football team. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks charters. I, yeah. I mean, you're going to get some pushback there. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it is interesting how, you know, how, it, how some of the debate plays out in some of these rural communities has been that charter schools can be a way to keep the football team because uh, it can be a way to push sure. back against consolidation. I don't I mean, we, think there's a law against charter schools having a football no, team. No, no, right? no. Just to be I, clear. Yeah, yeah. Just I, to be clear. <laughs> yes. No, 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 that's right. But, but you know, and we, we uh, at Fordham as a charter school authorizer in Ohio, uh, we oversee a school that's in the Appalachian part of the state. And it was very much a school that the local school board was going to close and right. con- uh, consolidate that small community. Uh, some would call it a hamlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, was very upset about that. Mm-hmm. And they rallied to keep their school open and to use the charter mechanism to do that. We've seen that in Oregon, uh, West Virginia just passed a charter law and that was part of the debate there too. Well, and I think funding matters. I mean, I, you know, the charter I worked at was, it, it did not have a great athletic facility, yeah. right? Um, and it was it was mm-hmm. tough to convince kids that, you know, that, that the sports team was a serious thing in the way that you could. And and frankly, I mean, I, I think, and this, this is good, a lot of the facilities in D.C. these days, if you go and you look at the schools and traditional public schools, yeah. they're pretty good. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are. Uh, and and anyway, I guess the point is, I mean, money money matters. As long as charters are underfunded, they won't be able to offer the sort the same sorts mm-hmm. of extracurriculars that depend yeah. on having a new stadium or a new yeah. whatever uh, that that many Americans expect from well, certainly their high schools. Yeah, I'm glad that we were able to, to pivot from talking about rural charter schools to those in inner city DC. Yeah, yeah, we pivoted. <laughs> we're back on more comfortable don't, ground. Don't answer the question. Just pivot. Just pivot. Yes, that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Well, Danny. Thank Thank you. So this is really interesting stuff. Uh, look forward to seeing the paper and appreciate you coming on the show. Sure. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, great. So Danny Shaquille, postdoctoral researcher at the Program on Education Policy and Governance at Harvard University. Now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. So you, you're going to go see The Lion King? Uh, a lot of talk about that. <laughs> Maybe. It's like real lions, right? Not well, this is what they say. It's, it's quote, live action, except yeah. it's all computer generated. So, wow, so not they, really live action, I right? don't understand, Mike. I'm under the age of 35. Is that not what live action is? <laughs> um, you're telling me there's something else? They, I mean, in the promo and the trailer, 
they look like real lions, yeah. right? Yeah. They walk and yeah. kind of like they real talk lions. like they real lions. lions. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, you know, I think the first time they did this uh, was with the Jungle Book, or one of the first times yes. where they did it really well, and it right. was that was amazing. Yeah. But I guess what I hear, I haven't seen it yet. May, I don't know if the kids, the boys, might be a little down on it. They might be oh, too cool for this now. I see. But the idea that it looks super real, but right. they sing. Right. <laughs> right. right, right, right. So, you can't be that ferocious of a lion when you're singing, or just like either you make it look really real, or you have them sing. But the combination <laughs> seems a little. Iffy. All these movies with the dogs that talk like Marley and me. Yeah. I mean, come on, they were great. So we're yeah. building on a yeah. firm foundation of talking yeah. animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sure, this is this is true. <laughs> all right. Well, we digress. What do you have for us we this week? Do. I got a cool study out by Elizabeth Citrin uh, that estimates or examines the impact of special education and English language learner classification in charter schools in Boston. So in other words, what happens to kids who are classified as special ed or ELL or not? Okay. Mm -hmm. So we know that charter schools are often criticized for not enrolling enough or serving well special needs students, right? We're Mm -hmm. familiar with this. Um, And so this kind of gives some more um, empirical sort of basis for whether those allegations and criticisms are full of merit. Okay. Uh, The study makes use of data from randomly assigned charter admissions lotteries. I love when people figure out cool stuff to do with charter admission lottery Mm. data. Uh, Includes data on the baseline characteristics of students from the time of the lottery and then post lottery outcomes for the lottery winner and losers. Pre-lottery demographics and test scores are similar for those offered and not offered a slot. Again, the main outcome is the impact of charter school attendance on academic outcomes for students relative to their pre-lottery special needs status. Okay. Okay. The sample includes admission lottery data for 30 of Boston's elementary, middle, and high school charters. That's about 90% of the sector. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty good coverage. Uh, The initial descriptive findings show that by the spring of 2014, the prevalence of SPED students, I'm going to say SPED, even though that's kind of icky, in middle school charter lotteries was similar to Boston public schools. So both around 22%. Okay, in so the lottery, in right the the prevalence of the kids who had special needs mm-hmm. classification was similar in both sectors. The same was true for ELL in both sectors, except slightly higher proportions. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But apparently, little footnote: there was some law passed in Massachusetts that required charters to increase their efforts to recruit and retain mm-hmm. special education ELL students. So yep. that's why they were kind of same back there's, then. There's a similar one in New York, maybe some other places. Yes. As well. So the key empirical finding, however, is that charters remove. SPED classifications and move SPED students to more inclusive settings at the time of enrollment at a much higher rate than TPS. Mm -hmm. Specifically, applicants with SPED status at the time of the lottery are 11.8 percentage points more likely to have their classification removed in charters than in TPS. That pattern is also plays out um, with severe disabilities too. So applicants who were previously placed in a separate classroom at the pre-lottery time are 17.3 percentage points less likely to keep their SPED status in a charter compared to TPS. Related. By the way, traditional public schools, TPS, Sorry, You want me to say that 500 times? Uh. No. So related, charters move SPED applicants to more inclusive classrooms, 27.1 percentage points more often than Mm -hmm. than TPS, meaning they spend more time in a general ed setting and less time receiving services outside of the mainstream classroom. All right. Similar pattern with ELL. Charters remove ELL status at the time of enrollment 31.8 percentage points more often than TPS, 
Although they dig in and they say it's those with the intermediate and advanced English proficiency that are driving the differences. Mm -hmm. They don't, um, it's typically not those with beginning English proficiency problems. They, they, they usually keep their classification. All right. And then they say, okay, well, learning gains can't justify these classification differences, right? Because that happened at the beginning. Um, and so they dig in and they find that the main driver is that parents do not close, disclose, kind of interesting, disclose the SPED classification mm. of their kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, well, why does that happen? Apparently, the transfer of records between BPS and the charter sector takes much longer than between BPS schools, Boston Public Schools. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I thought that was sort of a neat little qualitative finding. All right. Then we get to test scores. Okay. In a nutshell, charter school attendance has large positive effects for math and ELA state exam scores for students with SPED and ELA status at the time of the lottery. Mm-hmm. For example... A year of charter school attendance increases math scores by 0.26 standard deviation for SPED applicants and by 0.33 standard deviation for ELL applicants. ELL increases are in the same ballpark. That was just math, just a little bit lower. These effects appear to accumulate in the first two years and then level off. Charters also boost the chances that ELL and SPED students will reach proficiency on the 10th grade math and ELL, ELA exams, that they'll score above 90 out of 1600 on the SAT, and that they'll enroll in a four-year college. So they do all these different outcomes, right? And they mm-hmm. find positive ones, positive, positive. Um, and then finally, then they try to look at, uh, uh, just side note, I've been noticing that these r- very rigorous empirical studies that mm-hmm. use, you know, all these, you know, great methodologies, they're now trying to get in the black box. Mm-hmm. They actually are doing a lot mm-hmm. of more intensive work to tr- at, to look at mechanisms, potential mechanisms. Yeah. All right, so potential mechanisms. Um, they conclude that the general charter school environment drives the academic gains and find no negative effects of the lower classification rates. Increased inglu- inclusion practices and classification removal explain only between 1% and 25% of the SPED achievement effect. Citrin mm-hmm. concludes that the general charter school experience, longer school day, strict behavior code, emphasis on high expectations and so on, that affects all students, not just those classified as having special needs, mm-hmm. drives the positive gains for the SPED students. Woof! But a boom, like but a bing. And, and look, that makes sense to me because there are just so many different kinds of uh, disabilities that we know. You know, let's say that a kid and the uh, at their old school had an IEP for a speech disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they had a lot of kids when they're little. You know, we've had this in our family. You know that, and so maybe they lose that at one point, but that's not going to have a big impact necessarily on their reading or their math achievement mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the point is these are really good schools. They're good schools for everybody, right? Uh, but if you want to have this debate about whether charter schools are serving their fair share of special ed kids or ELL mm-hmm. kids. I think the takeaway here is you don't look at the en- enroll, the numbers in terms of students enrolled. You've mm-hmm. got to look at the lottery. Yeah. That was actually right. my right. takeaway too, Mike. I mean, did they say, I mean, how much of the gap, I, I don't know. I, 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 right. We keep hearing mm-hmm. that, but that makes me think this could explain most of the, those numbers. What yeah. were they again? It was like 17%. Dramatic. Or yeah. Yeah. That would explain yeah. most of the gap in a lot of places, right. I would think. Right. 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 Now it could vary. We don't know. Boston's mm-hmm. a very high performing right. sector. Yeah, right. yeah. All of that. But no, that that's a big deal. I mean, this has mm-hmm. always been the debate is that, uh, you know, because, you know, it, the, the tough thing is a kid who's considered to have a, you know, special needs in one school is not mm-hmm. necessarily considered to have a special needs in another. Right. right. Same across districts, across states. I mean, right. within classrooms. Yes. Within, I mean, Massachusetts yes. has like, something like over close. 20% of kids yeah. right. uh, in special ed. Mm-hmm. California yes. is like 10%. Very say, subjective. What? Yes. I mean, right. so, so this is not a, a category you know, that is, you can really nail down in the same mm-hmm. way that many of these other categories that we work with and we look at gaps mm-hmm. can be nailed down. And so 
Uh, this certainly seems to indicate that if we're going to look at any of those kinds of gaps, right. it should be about when kids apply. Are we making sure that the charter schools are attracting you know, similar proportions of kids with special needs mm -hmm. and that there's no evidence that they're doing anything to, you know, to cream skim the kids who don't have these needs. Right. Uh, but, right. but that you can look at on the front end, you, you mm -hmm. know, but after that, then it's hard to know what right. you're looking at. And I okay. don't know about my, how good these measures are for testing kids for, mm -hmm. you know, special needs. It's been a while since I've been in a school, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you want to, you wonder how far along some of these measures are for actually showing that kids have, you know, now are no longer eligible for services, right? I mean, we used to sit in these bed meetings for hours and like, is the kid, no, is it, you know, mm -hmm. is he ready to move on and not have this label anymore? And it's, yeah. it's very subjective. It's very subjective. Yeah. I just want to make sure I got the actual findings correct. So you were, those were effects for kids, for sped kids who did and didn't get into the charters. Yes. That, that's right. Lottery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, right, right. and they okay. did better in charters, but mostly not because of this labeling issue or the sort of inclusion versus That's not right. issue. Mostly just because the charters were so right. such good schools. schools. Okay. But then the other takeaway was that actually, I mean, I think what you were saying was that actually they may have benefited slightly from not being categorized as SPED. Yeah. Was that the right. other implication? Yes. Right. Right. That doesn't yeah. shock me. No, yes, it, because they're in yeah. general inclusion classes, yeah. right? And they're being right. exposed to all these other good things that we know these yeah. high-performing charters are doing. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it's one of those issues that I, I don't know how else to put it, but but actually seeing it up close will completely turn you 180 degrees mm -hmm. on the issue mm -hmm. a little bit um, because it just feels like low yeah. expectations for yeah. some kids. For some yeah. kids. It's such a... Yeah, and we've seen this with reading, right? When kids are, you know, not reading mm -hmm. on par and they take them out and put them in, you know, a, a, a classroom where they're supposed to be getting, you know, better help. And, and then it's, it's actually being in the classroom with the other kids that already know how to read, you know, and they can just kind of pick mm -hmm. up and gain some momentum there. So, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's hard to know what type of services we should be offering kids who are struggling. Bottom line, yay charters. We like it. <laughs> yeah, I got no criticisms of this one. It seems pretty solid. All right. Yeah. Very good. Thanks, Amber. Fascinating. Very important to keep it in mind the next time you hear somebody say the charters don't serve special ed kids or English language learners. Mm -hmm. uh, not true. Okay. That is all the time we've got for now. Until next week. I'm David Griffin. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gap Plus Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at Fordham Institute. Institute.org.